0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Okay, all right, welcome. Uh, welcome tonight. Glad that you're able to join us this evening and especially a word of welcome to those of you that are online. Perhaps you're at your home um, near or far away. Perhaps you're even in a rehab center. I uh, would uh, That would be neat if you could... Uh, Watch from those places and, uh, or hospital room and be involved in our services. We are in Matthew chapter 14. We're continuing where we left off one week ago with the, the account of Jesus walking on the water. And we, I don't know if I mentioned it because we didn't really get to the end of the message last time. We were in part two tonight that the truth is that Jesus is worthy of worship because he is God. He is worthy of worship because he is God. And that truth is very clearly laid out in verse 33, which is the capstone of the passage where it says, then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Well, they might not have understood everything that they were saying there, but they did understand it enough to know that this was something very special going on. So, uh, indeed, the Lord walked on water, and uh, that was a humanly impossible thing. As we said, that phrase has come down into modern English that way, uh, to indicate a miraculous kind of event. And uh, you recall uh, the passage: and Jesus pushed his disciples off into the boat. You know, he said, "Look, you've got to go." He let the he kind of dismissed the crowds. Uh, in the evening, late in the evening, uh, he was alone in the in the mountain praying the boat was in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, uh, the sea of Tiberius. that uh, sea was depending I, I looked it up today depending on where they came from, which would be on a map on your right, moving toward your left, uh, moving from east to west, depending on how that you know, trajectory was it could be anywhere from five to seven miles across the water. So it was quite a journey. I'm sure in the in the nice clear day, you could, uh, you know, get your binoculars out or do this and look across and maybe even see the land. But in the middle of the night with a storm upon you, there is no chance that you are gonna see land. Yeah, that's right, land ho. You wish, uh, you'd, no, I'm not seeing any land out there. <laughs> So uh, it, was a, it was a bad situation for them. So uh, they, they had a problem. They had a very difficult situation. It says that they were tossed by the waves for so the wind was contrary. So there was a level of difficulty assigned to them by the Lord. The Lord, remember, gave them this trial. He put them into it. Uh, he, uh, he, he designed it. He ordained it, planned it, uh, and implemented it. Upon them. So they had a difficult situation. Now, it's unlike the account where they were in the boat with Jesus when he was asleep and uh, they became very afraid that they were going to die and they woke him up and, and said, Don't you care that we're dying here? You know, wake up. And of course, he stilled the storm then, back some chapters. Uh, and in all the other in and in the other Gospels, but this time they're in the boat having difficulty, and in the fourth watch of the night, sometime between probably 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., good sleeping hours, uh, they're toiling at the at the oars, rowing this thing. And Jesus went to them, walking on the sea, just a nice little stroll on a bumpy little walk on the water, which was waves. Um, that would have been something to see. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now, there's where the fear is added to the difficulty of rowing in this uh, tempestuous sea. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Okay, so this is the test of the disciples up through, well, it's up through verse uh, 24 is what we looked at um, last time. Um, We mentioned about the timing of it, um, the the, uh, relative hours. We looked at the absolute hour time in terms of the fourth watch of the night. Um, We considered the possibility that the Lord sent them off into this trial to protect them from some other thing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. I think probably a couple of times, at least in my life, that I recognize, probably more than that, because we're kind of dull and don't recognize these things, but God has put me or you into a difficult situation, which serves to protect you from a more dangerous situation that you could have been involved in. And so that happened, and the Lord did that. The Lord saw the disciples from miles away. Mark six forty-eight tells us that. He saw them afar off. How did He see them in the middle of the night in a stormy sea? I do not know. Uh, yeah, x-ray vision, uh, maybe the no, the moon couldn't have been out because there's probably clouds. I mean, who knows? Um, that's speculation. But the, the disciples in verses 25 through 27 respond with this great fear. Um, the uh, the fear came upon them when they saw the Lord walking on the water, not so much the fear of the ocean. Um, now, when Brother Hadad preached on this, remember, uh, the first Sunday into the pandemic in March of 2020, he spoke from this pulpit to an almost empty auditorium, but it was everybody was online when we were uh, really first getting started in our live streaming and stuff. We we're actually a few months in at that point. But he said this, faith and peace go together, and doubt and fear go together. Doubt and fear go together. He said that when you do not have faith in God... What seems uh, what what is fake seems real, and what is real seems fake. That was a very interesting statement that has actually borne itself out over the course of the last two years, I think, in in uh, very interesting ways. What is fake seems real, and what is real seems fake. And of course, that's a kind of a variation on the theme at The scriptures taught us a long time ago in the prophets that, you know, they call evil good and good evil. Everything is just upside down. Um, So the disciples thought they were seeing a ghost when they saw what they knew was impossible. People cannot walk on water because they are heavier than water. The surface tension of the water is not enough to hold them up. Their mass would at least carry them down to some level where they would be somewhat buoyant if they have, you know, I mean, they're not rocks, people aren't rocks, so they wouldn't just sink to the bottom, but they wouldn't be able to just float up on top of their feet. There's something wrong with that. And so, well, true enough, it was impossible what the Lord was doing, physically, humanly impossible, of course. But here's my question. Did they really believe in ghosts? Did they really believe in ghosts? Do you believe in ghosts? That's kind of a dumb question, I think, from our perspective, because we don't believe in ghosts. But tons of people believe in ghosts. And what I mean by ghosts is the spirits of the departed dead wandering around or haunting a house that they used to live in or or something like that. It's a fantastic kind of story and conjures up the uh, imaginations but there is no such thing as that because, oh, if you look at Luke sixteen, the the uh, rich man and Lazarus, you know, the rich man wasn't gonna wasn't about to be let out of Hades to go wander about in, you know, some haunted house in his old mansion somewhere and, and uh, you know, go through the grounds and howling and moaning and all these sorts of things. Uh, what a terrible existence that would be, anyway. But. Um, just going around scaring people all the time. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Uh, there is no such thing as that. Now, there are demons. Certainly, there are. De- there is demonic activity, and they can make themselves uh, appear or do things that are very odd, and I'm not going to speculate on what that could be like. Thankfully, we don't have as much experience with that in our culture because generally, we have had a reign of common grace and of some Christian sensibility over the past several centuries, certainly not perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, There's always been a battle going on, Um, you know, 100, 150, 200 years ago, battles for what is right and wrong, battles for the souls of men. But there is at least that influence. In other cultures, there really is not much of that influence at all, and it's a sad state of affairs. But did they believe in ghosts? They shouldn't have believed in ghosts. And we shouldn't believe in ghosts either. Don't be silly, all right? Take the teaching of the Scripture seriously, and what it teaches us about the afterlife has to be held rock solid in our minds so that we don't get fearful and thinking about, you know, the the boogeyman in the closet or under the bed or whatever. We go back to our childhood and start acting like, you know, that. It's just crazy. So... uh Odd, odd situation, it's a ghost. Uh, they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. He was gracious. He told them not to fear. Uh, you know, be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. The Lord often does that. The angels often do that too, don't they? When somebody sees an angel, they are very fearful, and the angel, like Daniel, will touch him or lift him up or strengthen him somehow and allow him to, uh, to get up and continue his service Now, Peter's response to the Lord is a little different. Um, Maybe initially he was fearful, but then when he realized it was the Lord, Peter answered him and asked, Lord, if it is you, now there's a little bit of doubt there, if it is you. What do you mean, if it is you? It is you. You it is. Uh, Command me to come to you on the water. Well, the if was true because the Lord did say come, and, and he came. Now, that's... That's another thing that's impossible. Think about that. Can you imagine walking on the water yourself? Now, Peter's request to walk out onto the water was a good request, I think. It was not selfish, it was not um, arrogant. The Lord doesn't rebuke him for it. He says, Okay, come. You have that kind of faith? Come. We'll put that faith to exercise. It was not a sin. And he actually did walk on the water for a few moments. I mean, what does it say? Uh, he came down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. So he did. It's not a figment of imagination. It's not, you know, some, I mean, it's, it is some strange phenomenon of levitation, we could say. <laughs> I don't know how, but how? Uh, scripture doesn't tell us that. All it tells us is the effect. And he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, when he was focused on the Lord, as you know, he did okay. But then what happens in verse number 30? But when he saw the wind was boisterous, now what had changed? What had changed from when he was in the boat to when he was outside of the boat? Nothing. wind was boisterous before. What's that? His perspective, yeah. Oh, now it's worse. I'm out out in the... You know, I'm not in the safety of my home. Now I'm outside of the home. It's the same wind, but it's a little more scary when you're out in the middle of the, you know, 60-mile-an-hour wind gusts and when you're inside the home and you're not feeling the wind gust. But nothing changed about the wind. Nothing changed about the waves. Nothing changed about the waters. But he became afraid, and and he began to sink. Now, normally, if somebody in in that situation, they would go down right away, but he was kind of... I don't know how slowly was he just going you know, down like this and just sinking in. Uh, He began to sink and he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Well, that's uh, another good prayer. By the way, um, it may be that this kind of activity, walking on the water, will be possible perhaps in our glorified bodies. I don't know, but I'm just speculating. You come back and talk to me and you know, when we're all in heaven and uh, and tell me if I was right or not, okay? I'll be interested to see. Um, isn't there a passage about the sea of glass or something like that in the book of Revelation? I'll let you look it up and you tell me what you think. It's a little exercise for you. Um, so when Peter saw that, the wind and the waves, he became afraid. It's often said from this passage, and I think wisely, you know, He got his eyes off of Jesus and he got messed up. You get your eyes off the Lord and you get messed up. You get your eyes on the persecution and you get into into trouble. You get, you know, you, you take your eyes off the author and finisher of our faith and you get into all kinds of other things and you lose sight of the realities of life. So keep your eyes focused on the Lord Jesus. Think about him because he is God and he's worthy of your every and best thought. Now, what did he do? He prayed. Now, he was able to pray directly face-to-face with the one that he was praying to, but we can do the same. This is a short prayer. It's an effective prayer. If you're not saved, if you're not rescued from sin, you can cry out this right now, Lord, save me, right? Lord, save me. That's what he prayed, he asked. And uh, he prayed and evidently didn't have a whole lot of doubt maybe the exigency of the situation banished the doubt like oh boy if i don't say this i'm i'm going down and uh, but there's one who can save me because he's already up on this water he can haul me out of this uh out of this mess and so jesus did that very thing um it says immediately jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Uh-oh, well, he did doubt, actually. He didn't doubt in the fact that the Lord could save him, but he doubted before that, right? He doubted when he, was, when he was out on the water and beginning to sink, seeing the boisterous waves. Think about it. What's the power of the wave compared to the power of Jesus? Even the biggest wave you can imagine, a 100-foot-high tsunami is nothing compared to the power of God, is it? Yeah, God can just, you know, wave it off. (laughs) It's gone. Speak it out of existence. Calm it down to nothing. So don't doubt the power, the saving power, the keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus caught him by the hand or whatever, caught him up, uh, brought him into the boat, when they got into the boat, verse 32 says, the wind ceased. What was the result of the test? Christ came into the boat. The test was over. The wind stopped. The waves calmed down quickly. The disciples had at least made it through the test. They might not have passed with flying colors, but they had another opportunity to, to pass a test from the Lord. And so this would serve to strengthen their faith for the next time that this sort of thing would happen. But the next time. You know, there'd be another fault or failure or doubt the next time, all the way on down to when the Lord was captured by the soldiers and taken to be crucified, and they were all what? Scattered. Yeah, they they left him. And so there were a bunch of tests. Well, this is all what prepared them to be powerful ministers of the gospel after the Lord's ascension into heaven his final teaching of them and then leaving. But... uh, We don't want to use that excuse and say, well, I'll just wait until the end and and I'll finally get myself straightened out. No, we want to learn from the example of the apostles and be strengthened in our faith now and be able to face those tests. The disciples realized that they were dealing with a man who was more than a man. He was the son of God. No other explanation of the data that they had seen would fit. I mean, think about all the things that they had seen, the healings, the raisings of the dead, uh, the food multiplied, walking on water, stilling the storm, um, healing the lepers, the teaching that he did, the speaking of truth. I mean, how many more things could you list? What data, what other explanation fits that data point? I mean, at least, at least a tremendous profit, but more than a profit. Uh, you're familiar maybe with uh, McDowell's uh, threefold division of kind of the logic of who Jesus is. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Well, the liar and lunatic explanations don't fit the data. Look at the data. Um, He taught truth. He did miraculous works that only God could do. He claimed to be God. He died for our sins. He rose again from the dead. He, my friends, is the one with whom we have to do, King James' language. He's the one with whom or to whom we have to give an account. You realize that now, don't you? Jesus, by virtue of the fact that God raised him from the dead, will sit upon a throne and will judge all of humanity, you and me included. Don't think you're going to escape you know, because of your heart or your smarts or your cleverness or your denial of the Lord or whatever, you're not going to. You're going to face Him. He is the one to whom we have to give an account. Hebrews 4.13 says that. You can look it up yourself. Hebrews 4 and verse 13. Now, um, I, in my notes, I invite the reader to turn back to the beginning of the notes because that's where I put the main point. That is that we're talking about Jesus being worthy of worship because He's God Looking at verse 33, we read this already. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The gospel writer John put it this way, John 20 and verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in his name. Now that life is not only eternal life, but it's real life from death. In the death of sin that starts immediately when one becomes a follower of Christ. I don't know if I've made that clear. Let me say it again. Sometimes we think of, G- of believing in Jesus, that gets us eternal life. You know, that gets us. That's a gift that we receive. But you believe, you receive the gift of eternal life, and you're thinking eternal life. Okay, I'm going to live, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to have eternal life. fact of the matter is, when you... Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't wait to get eternal life. You've got it already. And why is that? Because eternal life is the life that raises you out of the death, which is sin. When you live in sin and you live apart from Jesus, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. When you come to faith in Christ, then you are alive in Him. You have a new life, a new joy, a new thanksgiving, a new rejoicing, a new purpose for living. You have all of that immediately. You don't have to wait for it. Eternal life is now and forever, not just in the future. So that's what we have when we believe. And that's what John is saying. He says, I've written these things to you so that you'd believe in him and you'd have eternal life, presently have eternal life. So Christ is able to take care of our eternal lives, He's able to take care of our temporal lives. He, in he, example's here for us that we're to direct our prayers to him. You know, Peter, Lord, save me. Direct our prayers to, to him, to the Father, through him. And, uh, and we want to make sure that we, you know, return to portions like this. As simple as the narrative is, it's so profound, and it reminds us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We don't want to, you know, the boisterous waves. The Ukraines, the COVIDs. They're clamoring about climate change. There's education problems. There's societal issues. There's abortion. There's gay marriage. There's all these boisterous waves around us. Just be calm. Just be calm, you know. Don't get excited. (laughs) Don't panic. Everything is going to be okay in the Lord's hands. Um, Boisterous waves, but that doesn't mean that we have to be all shook up ourselves, we can just be even keeled. Amen. Yeah. Now, and in terms of an appendix to this passage, just the last couple of verses, when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. Verse thirty-five says, And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Let me just close up our study in this passage with a few comments on this. The Lord and the disciples in the boat returned to the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's a little unclear to me where Gennesaret is, um, if it's Ginnosaur or if it's another place along there, but it would be in the west-northwest quadrant of the Sea of Galilee, that shore there. That trans-Galilean trip was five to seven miles, as I already indicated, and they made that overnight. Somehow the people at Gennesaret recognized Jesus somehow and they sent messengers to bring the sick. They had enough background to know that Jesus could heal and that he almost always would heal. Remember in Matthew 8 when he came down after after the uh, Sermon on the Mount and a fellow comes to him and and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can heal. Yes, I'm willing be cleansed. Actually, that might have been before the Sermon on the Mount. There was the one afterwards, a very difficult case, uh, with the, the child that was uh, foaming at the mouth and so on, and, and the Lord healed him. But in any case, the Lord was often willing. Any time we see it in the Gospels, he was willing to heal. And so somehow they knew who this uh, Jesus was, and um, they uh, trusted that he would heal them. The crowd-sourced information uh, traveled from one to another about his arrival, and they transported the sick to his place, and um, they probably figured that was their best chance of being made well, you know, um, far better than the folk healers, witch doctors, shamans, or anything else. Of course, they didn't have all that then, but we have that in other cultures today, and it's just, it's just sad to see people go to these ones for healing, which, which offer nothing. They offer nothing. And uh, modern medicine is far better hope than, than the shamans and the witch doctors. We could hope that the people had the same desire to come to Jesus for spiritual healing as they did for physical healing. But alas, we humans are so focused on the here and now, the physicality, the sensuality, the senses, what we touch and feel of things that we miss the real underlying sin problem that impacts all of life, including our emotions and happiness. Listen, without God, it's impossible. No person can be truly well, joyful, or happy if they don't have God in their life. Oh, they can mask it. They can have, use riches and pleasures and all of that sort of thing, but you cannot be happy like a Christian can be happy. In the most deprived of circumstances, Christians exist in great joy in this world, which other people look at and say, huh, how can that be? But they know because they know that their hope is not on earth. It's not in the physicality and the sensuality of what they can touch and see and feel and hear. It's in their God and in His Christ. Well, the people beg to be healed. Now, do you have to beg God? If you ask Him an egg, will He give you a stone? (laughs) If you ask him for a piece of bread, will he give you a serpent? No. If, you're, you know, if a human father is that good to his children, then how much more the heavenly father to his people? He is, God is predisposed because of his nature to give good gifts to his people. He doesn't have to be cajoled, bribed, begged, you know, uh, groveled to in order to give good gifts to his people. Now, there's one little strange thing here. Um, People could touch the bottom edge of Jesus' garment, the hem of it, and they could be made well. That is very interesting. We see similar things in a couple of other places in the gospel. Let me just point them out to you. You don't have to turn to these, but in, in um, Mark chapter 5, um, 27, it talks about the woman who was, had a um, bleeding problem. And, She heard about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. And of course, power went out from him and he uh, healed her. And then there's another one in Acts chapter 5, verse number 15, and it says this. So they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And one more, please. Acts 19. This is even more remarkable than the last. Listen to this. This is just something else. Acts 19 and verse number 11 says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from His body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Paul wasn't even present when that happened. That is strange. Notice what it says in verse 11. God worked unusual miracles." Now tell me, is a miracle usual? A miracle is, by definition, unu- it's an unusual event. So this unusual miracle is an unusual, unusual event. This is extraordinary. This is, I mean, this is beyond what you could ever expect or imagine. These were doubly extraordinary events. Perhaps a fulfillment of it, uh, might, might it be, of the promise in John 14 when the Lord said, greater works than these will he do? perhaps, perhaps. But even if it's not, it's remarkable that the Lord was doing this. He could still the sea, cause Peter to walk on the water. Uh, why not? Because he's the creator of the universe. He doesn't, he doesn't have to obey any laws of physics. The laws of physics obey him. That's the deal. He is great, and he's worthy of worship because he is God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for teaching us this and allowing us to spend a few moments in the scriptures together tonight. I pray that it's been an encouragement to all who are listening, strengthening, and uh, opening us uh, to another level of discipleship, another level of following you, of, of being a well-formed disciple. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to welcome, or wish you rather, a good night and uh, Hope that you'll have good rest this evening. Welcome you to stay and have a little fellowship this evening, if you would be willing. And uh, we will wrap up the live stream and uh, be on our way this evening. Good night.